If you have your Bibles, guys, I want you to turn with me to a couple of passages of Scripture. We're going to look at John, the 13th chapter, uh, verse 34 through 35. And we're going to embark on this series, and I'm entitled it Relationships 101. Everybody say Relationships 101. Anybody uh, who's taken any college courses know and understand that the 100 level courses or the base or the foundational courses for that thing that you're majoring in in whatever subject, whether it's engineering, finance or whatever, uh, it's the baseline, it's, it's, the, it's the beginning process uh, of, of you going into that major. Now, I'm, I'm entitling this Relationships 101 because here's what I've discovered, and you probably have too, especially as we look and see what's happening in the church today and across this globe. Um, People, by and large, and even people in the church, Christians, don't necessarily do relationships well. And, so, and, and for, for a wide variety of reasons. And, and, and number one, I believe it's because we hadn't been taught it well. I'm not saying taught it well. Uh, we, are, we usually go based off of what we saw growing up or what our family of origin did and and if we don't have any systematic biblical teaching on how to do relationships, we tend to do it the way we saw our parents do it or those who we're in relationship with. And so uh, so I, I think it's it would it would do us well to to go back to the scriptures and look at what Jesus had to say about interpersonal relationship, particularly amongst believers, because guys. We as Christians should be showing the world how to do this thing. But the sad reality is, is that many of us as Christians struggle when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Uh, We just don't do it very well. Um, And so my goal as your pastoral leader is to teach what the word of God says on this issue. Now, I got enough sense. I've been on this earth 60 years now going on 61 years I got enough sense to know that that if I teach it in order for it to have impact you got to receive it the right way your heart has to be conditioned and positioned to be received the seed of God's word and and you got to make up your mind what am I going to do what I with what I'm learning through this series of relationships 101 are y'all in just go to John 13 chapter verse 34 through 35 our key thought uh, as we get ready to read this, our key thought I gave you in your outline is the essence of true Christianity is to love well. Everybody say love well. And this requires that we experience connection, hear me carefully, with God, with ourselves, and with other people. Okay? We have to have connection with God. Everybody say God. Ourselves and other people. All right. All right. So so keep that in mind as we go as we go through here. Let's 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 uh, if we will, we'll we'll John, the 13th chapter uh, and we'll uh, begin our reading at verse number 34 of John, the 13th chapter. You all have heard this passage on numerous occasions, I'm sure. Uh, Jesus said this in John 13 and 34. Um, A new commandment. Let's see. Let me go. Let me read it. I'll read it from the NLT. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, right? 
I'm giving you a new commandment. What does it say? Love each other. The KJV says love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should do what? You should love each other. Let's read it out loud and on purpose. Now, again, as you're reading this, understand this is Jesus talking. Correct? He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He is the Word because John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. So the Holy Scriptures uh, are the embodiment of God's message and plan for us as born-again believers. Jesus and his word are one and the same. You, you can't say I love Jesus and don't love his word. And we're going to see that love is an action word. Everybody that's telling you that they love you aren't really loving you. All right. Y'all with me. So let's read it one more time. So now I get I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should what? Love each other. So in Relationship Series 101, our first lesson is going to be loving one another. Love one another. Everybody say love one another. When you go through the scripture, you'll see a lot of Jesus talking about and Paul even some talking about love. How do we as Christians connect with one another? And if we learn to do that well, then I think we'll position ourselves to be disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God and who are having kingdom impact in our homes, schools, jobs, and the community at large. We will be reflecting our faith and leading others into a personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. We say that every Sunday, right? Now, I want to see the hands of those who got it memorized yet. Let's see the hand. If you, have, if you don't have that division statement memorized now, by now, okay, that's your assignment. To get it down in your spirit. Memorize it. We are disciples. That's who we're seeking to become. I, as your pastor, am not satisfied and God is not satisfied with us just being a regular old church that just comes on Sunday, disperse, come back next Sunday. That ain't, that's not what God commanded us to do. We want to grow. We want to be disciple believers who we can utilize to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are y'all tracking with me today? Christian author Bob Russell said this, and I was reading uh, some of his material, uh, uh, dynamic author. He says, listen to what he says. He says, a friend of mine preached for years in a troubled church. Any of y'all been in a troubled church before? <laughs> Somebody said, yes. He once said, Bob, I noticed in your church newsletter, one of your church's slogans is speaking the truth in love. Listen to what this guy says. He says, we don't have a church slogan, but if we did, it would be, if you want to fight, come to first Christian." Now, that's sad that a church is known for fighting, but there are a lot of churches that are. It's just full of mess. And you know why it's full of mess? Because sometimes you have messy people in the church. And, and Bob went on to ask this question, what is your church noted for? He says, if I were to visit your community and ask people about your church, what would they say? That's the church with a nice building. Oh, that's the church with good programming. They got all these programming for young people, old people, you know, uh, halfway old people, <laughs> any kind of people. They got pro- good programming. Oh, that's a Bible-believing church. Or that's the church that bickers a whole lot. What would they say about EBC, I wonder? Russell went on to say, he says, he says I'm invited by a lot of churches to come and talk to them about church growth. 
He says, one of the first things I tell them is that the church will not stay healthy and grow without love. Hear that again. He says, the first thing I tell them is that the church will not stay healthy and grow without what? Love. He says, the place to begin to improve your congregation is not with programs or organization or even doctrine, but with the attitude of the people toward one another. That's where it starts. And it starts in your home, too. It, it, it amazes me and it boggles my mind the number of Christian marriages that are, that are, that are just uh, uh, on, on the brink of, of, of disaster. It's amazing to me that, that the Christian marriages aren't being that example that, that Paul, and he, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, said it should be because God wants to utilize the marital relationship to, to illustrate tangibly the connection between Christ and the church. When people see our marriage, they should see how Christ connects to the church. And the sad reality is, is many churches don't even teach on that subject. And many churches and many people who are in those churches don't necessarily go and think I need to have a time where, 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 where we learn how to, to grow higher in Jesus in our marital relationship. We do a lot of time. We spend a lot of time in investing into the marital relationship. Uh, and again, let me say this quite quick. And I heard a guy say this the other day, and it's so true. You don't have to be married to, to, to be a savior, to be someone who God utilizes for kingdom advancement. As a matter of fact, Paul even said it this way. He says, I would that you would be like me. He says every man don't have that gift. Paul was not married, we know, when he wrote that. Some, some argued that he was married, and because of his transformation on the road to Damascus, his wife left him. I don't know if, if he was ever married, but I know he wasn't married when he wrote the scripture. And he says, I wish you would be like me. Because he says when you're single, you don't have no ties. When you're single, you know, if you want to go to Timbuktu for two weeks, ain't nobody going to complain about you being gone for two weeks. Because it's just you. So all the singles in the house, enjoy your singlehood. Don't feel like you're less than. You be who God called you to be. Give an amen for the singles in the house. But for those of y'all who are married, if you're going to be married, do it God's way. Shameless plug. We got XO conference coming up. Spend a little time. Amen. Getting to know about what it means to have a vibrant marital relationship, how to do marriage God's way. I'll tell you, after I've been married 38 years, it is work, but it's worth the work. It is fulfilling because when love is manifested, and, and Mariah will tell you that, that we've had our challenges in our marital relationship, but we, we made a commitment to God when we stood before the altar that we're going to do it for sickness and in health, rich or poor, good times and bad times, it didn't say it quite like that. But we said we're going to stick to it. We're going to go through the tough times. And you don't really know that you love somebody or something until you have to go through something with them. I don't really know how many of y'all are with me until you disagree with me. Or until we have to go through something together. Hello? Some of y'all said, yeah, Pastor, I got you back. I got you back. I got you back until the fight started. You're running the wrong way. <laughs> True love persevered. Can we keep moving? He said this. 
It says the place to begin to improve your congregation is not with programs or organization or even doctrine, but with the attitude of the people toward one another. The Apostle Paul took an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians, that 13th chapter, to convince the Christians in Corinth that they could have all the gifts in the world, the best preachers, the best worship leaders, even supernatural gifts like healing and speaking in tongues. But if they didn't have love, they were just making a bunch of noise and God wasn't going to bless them. He did the same thing in the book of Romans, taking most of chapter 12 to teach the Roman Christians how to love one another. Let's go to Romans, the 12th chapter right quick. Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 12. So relations one-on-one, we're going to take these one-anothers and unpack them. So today we're talking about love one another. Everybody say love one another. Now, I, I, I purposely, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to do two parts on love one another because this is the foundation of everything that we do, okay? This outline that I gave you is what we're going to, uh, take a look at. We're going to walk us through it. Uh, and I'll finish uh, the first part of it. And then the last part, we'll, we'll do it on next week. Okay. So I'm telling you ahead of time. So don't think that I'm running over. I'm not going to finish it today. I, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> and that's on purpose. Because here's what I understand. If you don't grasp the concept, concept of what Jesus was talking about when he says love one another, game is over. When it comes to being a vibrant Christian or disciple believer who's consistently walking the ways of God, because you're not going to do it. Amen? Are y'all with me today? All right, Romans, the 12th chapter, and let me get there. And we'll start our reading at verse number nine. Okay? Y'all ready? Let's read. Don't just... I stop. Stop, 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 stop. Look at what Paul says here. Jesus already said for us to do what? Did we read all of John 13, 34, 35? Y'all remember that? What did he say? We ought to what? Love one another. That's what Jesus said. Now, here's what most of us think. Well, pastor, I'm loving good. I'm, 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 I'm obeying that commandment. You know, but here's the problem. The true test of your obedience to Jesus' commandment is not when you're connecting with people who, who you like. It's when you connect them with folks who you don't like. I think somewhere in the scripture, y'all can find it when you get home. I think Jesus said, love your enemies. Oh, Lord Jesus. Love that person who gets on your last nerve. See, that's the true test of whether or not your love is real or not. The true test of, your, of, your, of the genuineness of your love is not based on you loving people who, who just like you, who, who y'all got the same value systems, y'all do things right, y'all, y'all even eat the same foods. That's not a true test of your love meter, but it is a true test when you have to love people who are difficult. All right? But listen to what he says here. Paul says this, don't just pretend to love others, what? Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is what? Good. Verse 10 for good measure. Let's read. With genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Several times in the New Testament, the phrase one another or one to another or each other is repeated. New Testament writers reminded us over and over again to love one another, to accept one another, to serve one another, to comfort one another, uh, to forgive one another, to honor one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, 
to pray for one another and to be kind to one another. Over and over again, one another. When we think about it carefully, hear me carefully. If we get the first one right, love one another, then the rest should fall into place. Would y'all agree with me? The rest of those one another phrases help us to define, they help us to define what love looks like in the church. They help us to define what love looks like amongst Christians. All right? It helps us to define what love looks like. Go to John the 17th chapter. Y'all know this one of my favorite passages to read. John 17, and we're going to look at verse number 20 through 23. John the 17th chapter. This is Jesus praying right before he got ready to go to the cross of Calvary. Right before he got ready to, uh, uh, to give his life for our sins. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows his time is short. He knows it's limited. And he, he says something. He prays, as I oftentimes tell y'all, this is really the Lord's prayer, not our Father which art in heaven. That was a, a model, a pattern for prayer. But this is Jesus prior to going to the cross of Calvary. Now he directs his attention to his Father in heaven, and he begins to pray about us. Are y'all with me? He begins to pray about you and I. John the 17th chapter, uh, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 20. Are y'all there with me? This is Jesus. He's praying now. Again, if you had one week to live, think about this for a second. If you had one week to live, what would you pray about? Why don't you just think about it for a second? If you knew that your time, your time clock on this earth is going to stop working in seven days, what would you pray about? Jesus knew that his time on earth amongst his followers was getting ready to go. He's going to send the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be with him. But at the same time, he in his physical bodily form, amen, was going to leave this earth. And so now he begins to pray to the father about his followers. Let's read. I am praying not only for these disciples, those immediate disciples who were there on the earth at this time, but also for all who will what? ever believe in me. So there you are right there in the scriptures. He's praying for you, Ray Sims. He's praying for you, Martha uh, 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 Monroe. He's praying for you, Tony White. He's praying for you, James. There you are, James, right there. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. How many of y'all believe in Jesus today? So if you believe in Jesus, there you are in the scripture right there. Next verse, let's read it. 21, let's go. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe what? Can we read that again? And may they be in us so that the world will believe You sent me. Next verse, let's go, come on. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as, so that he's talking about his father, that his followers may be one as we, father and son, are what? He's talking about the unity of the believers. And here's the thing that we got to understand. 
This is why Satan works double overtime to bring disunity in the church. Because he knows and he understands if we are coming together on the common ground of Jesus Christ our Lord, his blood is what unites us and not anything else. Amen. If, if that should be the preeminent thing that unites us as Christians is Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. Not our denomination, not our ethnic background, not uh, our, our, our location where we came from, where we grew up, but it is Jesus that unites us. Can I keep reading? I've given them I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are what? As we are one. All right. Next verse says what? I am in them and you are in me. May they who stop, stop. Who is they? The born again believer. Anybody who says I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I, I trust in his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary as the way to get in fellowship with the God who created the heavens and earth. If, you, if that's you, if you are truly saved, then he's talking about you right now. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience what? Such perfect unity that the world that you sent me the perfect unity of the believers is the thing that will let the world know that the Father sent the Son. So now, let me ask you a question. Is it any wonder why Satan tries to disrupt unity in the church? Is it any wonder that Satan tries to disrupt unity in your family? Because families make up the church, right? It's the unity of the believers that's going to be a testament to the world. Who is the world? The world is those who have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. The world system, doing things apart from God. That's the world. May they experience such perfect unity. The world will know that you sent me and that the world will know that you love them as much as you love me. So y'all heard me harp on this for a while because this scripture resonates in my spirit because it speaks to the embodiment of what I know God has called us to be, a unifying church, a church that is on display to the world, to, 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 to display the manifold wisdom of God, how God can take two and make one. Out of the two people group, he says he made one. It was his plan all along when he, when he told Abram to get away from your country, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And the whole world is going to be blessed through your seed. Can I get a witness? So the unity of the believers is significantly important. It says that you love them just as much as you love me. When they see the unity amongst the church. All right, so let me ask you a question. Are you a divisive person? Did I say that right? Divisive? Or as you from Ben, you say divisive. Are you a person who brings people together or are you one who's, whenever, wherever you go, there's always disruption? You think you got the ministry of disruption. <laughs> because every time you go, you mess stuff up. All right, listen, we should be carrying the spirit of Christ on the inside of us and walking in such a way that when God's love shines in us and when it's pervasive in our life, people will see that and they're drawn and they're attracted to the love of Christ. Even when people may not necessarily... <laughs> agree what you say, they ought to be see the love of Christ in you and respect what you do. So let's look. The, the church 
Again, we start off by saying the essence of true Christian, true Christian spirituality is to love well. This requires that we experience connection with God, with ourselves, and with other people. Connection with God, with ourselves. When I say connection with ourselves, that means we have to be self-aware. We got, to, we got to know who we are. Remember what I told you, that the thing that we are using as our new members orientation curriculum is the rooted study that we just, we just did. And those seven rhythms of rooted are an indicator of where you are in your faith journey. The first element of rooted, that we, the first rhythm is what? Oh, Lord, daily devotion. The second one is what? Teneric, if you have them, you don't have to get it, but I, I need some help today because these, these folks here, don't, <laughs> I, I, I'm teasing, but I know sometimes memories, especially the older you get, your memories fade a little bit. So we said daily devotion, prayer, repentance, sacrificial generosity, serving the community, sharing your story, and worship. Those are the seven rhythms of rooted. When we're rooted and grounded, we should have daily devotions. Check yourself. Since January, how many times have you sat down before the Lord just got in his word and, and meditated and studied? If you haven't done that, let's start today. I'm not going to beat you up over the head. I'm just going to say, let's start today. Whenever you are out of rhythm, let's get back in rhythm. Whenever you're out of rhythm, when you, when you look at those seven rhythms, you're saying, well, three of these are not prevalent in my life. i got to do something about this. Remember I told you the question we're going to be asking today, uh, this year, is how are you moving? What's your rhythm look like? When's the last time you had some daily devotion time? When's the last time you shared your story? I said this the other day. Maria and I were talking. I said, you know, many Christians are embarrassed to share their story because we think, well, what are people going to think? Because, you know, I was here and now I'm here. I was here, but now I'm here and, and, and God is using me, but I can't tell them what God brought me out of. Let me tell you something. God saved you and he wants to use your story. He saved, he saved a, a, a wretched sinner by the name of Saul on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, to throw Christians in, 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 in prison and even watch some of them die. He used that dude to write the majority of the New Testament. And guess what? Paul tells his story quite often. He's given his testimony. What about you? When God delivers you from where you were, are you willing to share your story? Amen. Well, I can't tell nobody. What are the people going to think? I don't care what they think. Jesus saved me. He delivered me. He set me free. I'm no longer in bondage. So now I'm going to tell the world what my Savior did for me. Because my story can help somebody else, amen, get free from what they are bound by. But we're embarrassed. We don't want the family name to be, to be, to be scarred because we, we, you were on drugs for five years and you were, you were out there just doing some crazy stuff, but now you're set free, but don't tell nobody. What about that drug addict that's in the church now that's struggling and needs to know that there's hope for his dilemma? And you're the one, if you would tell your story, to give him hope to know that if he did it for you, he can do it for them. Everybody say, share your story. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to not pick on, but I'm going to share, uh, Jeff Harper, uh, uh, share something quite often with his men's discipleship group. And I, and I've told him before, I like what he's doing with discipling men, but he tells his story. And one of the things that he shares is 
He says, God delivered him from racism. All right. All right, now see, see some of y'all, some of y'all are like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and the truth be told, God has delivered some of y'all from racism. Because racism ain't a one-way street, baby. It's a two-way street. I found love on a two-way. Oh, they ain't got nothing to do with it. <laughs> but somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs to know that you used to chase women like you drink water. Just make the connection, okay? Make the connection. But now that Jesus has taken a hold of your life, you are not chasing women anymore. You are committed wholeheartedly to your spouse and you're doing life God's way. But I can't tell that, Pastor. What are people going to think? People are going to think what they want to think. But if Jesus has delivered you, be willing to let him share your story. Because your story can help deliver somebody else. Jeff, I hope, hope you're okay with me saying that. I didn't, I, I didn't, ask, I didn't ask your permission. <laughs> but until, until we are honest about ourselves, we can't get deliverance. Amen. And until a church is honest about where it is, we can't love one another the way we should love. Okay? Are y'all still tracking with me? But you got to be self-aware. Self-aware means that I, I look at myself and I evaluate myself because I can't really repent until I do self-evaluation. And some of y'all are not self-aware to even know where you are. Well, I love everybody. No, you really don't. You're just saying that. Because the true test will be when you are confronted with a situation where you have to face somebody who is unlovable or somebody who you don't like or somebody who gets on your last nerve. That's going to be the true test of your love. Not when it's everybody that you like and you're around. The true test of your love is going to be when people talk about you and you still love them and you still hug them. And you mean it. Don't y'all think I got enough sense enough to know that everybody don't like the way I pastor? Don't y'all think I got enough to know that y'all, some, some of y'all talk and have me for lunch and dinner? But that's okay. It comes with the territory, just like a head coach in football. You can't separate them. Them folks talking about me because we didn't win the Super Bowl. That comes with the territory. You get paid millions of dollars to coach some grown men playing a game. And when you don't win, people are going to talk about you. It comes with the territory. When you preach the truth of God's word, as a pastor, and you live it out, and when you really start trying to do this stuff, some of y'all are okay as long as I don't, if I don't pressure you to try to do it. So, so, so the moment I start saying, okay, this, this, this is what we're going to do as a church. Can't nobody, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. See, there you go with your little pride. And so, 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 so now you, you think I'm the enemy. I'm just a messenger. Called by God to deliver a word to you, and I'm going to keep on doing it. I know and understand that, that to do it God's way and to lead right means that everybody is not going to necessarily like it. But if it's biblical, we ought to follow it. And so we get past our flesh, get past our little feelings, our little endos, our little ways of doing things. I think because I'm trying to change your thinking, your mind. I, if you said pastor trying to brainwash, I absolutely am trying to brainwash you. 
Go and tell all your family members that you're going to their church. They're trying to brainwash you. Why am I trying to brainwash you? Because Philippians 2 and 5 said, let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. That means I got to take my mind and let make, take a subservient role to Christ's mind, and I'm going to do life Christ's way and not my way. Amen. So, yes, I'm trying to brainwash you with the word of God Amen. because some of our thinking is stinking. Some of our thinking doesn't line up with Scripture. Oh, man, my time is running. <laughs> so the church at Corinth failed to make the connection. First Corinthians 13. They didn't think, they didn't link loving God to loving people. <laughs> they thought they could just love God and hate people. How are you going to be a saved, born-again believer, but you're a racist? How do you quantify that? You can't, because something is wrong. How can you be <laughs> a, a, a born-again believer and don't love people? Only people that, you, that, that, that are just like you. Jesus always integrated the presence of God with the practice of loving people. Go to 1 Corinthians 13 with me right quick. 1 Corinthians 13. I, I, I don't have enough time to spend a lot of time on this, but y'all know the love chapter, don't you? You that have been in church for a period of time know this. Because love can be seen. How many of y'all have been in a relationship with somebody who told you they love you, but their actions were in direct op- opposition to what they were saying? I mean, I've been dating somebody or you've been married to somebody who said they love you, but it wasn't shown in the action. How are you going to, how can you, man, how can you love a woman and beat a woman? Can we get real? How can you say you love, but don't take care of? All right, let's go. Can, can we go? The first verse in 13, let the word speak. Verse number one, Holy Spirit, have your way. This may be three parts on love one another, okay? <laughs> I'm revising my initial proclamation of two parts, Brother Kenny Douglas. Can I have that liberty? Where y'all going? Come on, where you going? This is, this, you, well, you going to be here next week, aren't you? It's kind of like the days of our lives and all my children. When Friday came, the cliffhanger scene was there. He was getting ready to walk in the door, and it goes off. He's like, doggone it. And you come back next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to find out what happened, right? So, let's read. Text says, ready? If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Next verse, let's go. If I had... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be... Did you just hear that? I would be nothing. Oh, I'm gifted. I, you know, I, have, the, I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of this, and I do this, and I do this. When I come in the room, everything changes. But do you love people? Oh, we got this great program and we got all these things and the kids are involved and the church is growing, but do you love people? If I had to get the prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, next verse, let's go next verse. 
Thank you, Tamerica. You are such a wonderful, sweet blessing and jewel that God has brought back from Dallas-Fort Worth to Benton, Louisiana to help us with this thing. Come on now. Let's give Tamerica a hand right quick. Come on, give a hand. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I wouldn't have gained nothing. All right, now here it is, here it is, here it is. Here's a a, a look at what love looks like. Love personified, love manifested. Here we go, let's go. Love is what? So let me ask you, are you patient and kind? Why, you say you're such a loving person. Love is what? Patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Can we keep going? Let's go. Oh, oh my goodness. That's, some of y'all got to check your love meter right now because you're the rudest somebody on this side of heaven. <laughs> Have y'all run across rude Christians? I'm not saying that they're not saved, but they're rude. Smug. Arrogant. Not displaying that God like love. It does not demand its own way with your I got to be in charge self. If it's not my way, it's the highway self. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. All of y'all that got your black book that says, I'm, I'm, I remember what Sandra did. Yeah, I remember what, I remember what Jerry did. And I ain't going to forget it. And it keeps no record of being wrong. Next verse, let's go. Come on, come on. Here we go. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, can we read it? Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Verse number 8 says this, prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, Knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things become you. I, I, I want to stop right here, okay? All right, so, so Paul talked about the Corinthian church with love. See, love uh, um, makes the connection. The Corinthian church didn't, didn't, did not link loving God to loving people. Jesus always integrated the presence of God with the practice of loving people. Let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Verses 34 through 40. Matthew, are y'all, do y'all like Bible teaching and Bible studying? Or do y'all want to show? Do y'all want to be entertained? Huh? Do y'all want to stand up on your feet and throw your handkerchief at me? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, if y'all want to know what type of church this is, this is a Bible teaching church. We are, we, we are a spirit-filled church. We are not cessationists as, as far as thinking that spiritual gifts are done away with. We are continuationists. I teach that spiritual gifts are available for the church because God gave them to the church. And it makes no sense to me that he would take it away from the church because people say, well, but the Bible says when you were in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it was it said when uh, maybe the 14th chapter was talking about tongues. And, and, and for, for those who, who, who want to know, I, I do believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I am, I do speak in other tongues, but I, I, I know what scripture says about how to operate in it. Okay. I'm not crazy. All right. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I just believe that the gifts are available and I've received that. And if you don't believe it, you can't receive it. Okay. All right. So just, just, but, but again, tongues has speaking in tongues has nothing to do with you going to heaven. And you can never speak in other tongues and still go to heaven and still be a, a, a savior, a, a, a mighty person of God who can do the will of God. But, but I just want you to know that we are continuationists. That's what we teach. Okay? So, so, so if someone were to speak in other tongues, I don't know why I'm going here, but I'm going. If someone were to speak in other tongue in the corporate assembly, Paul says that, that, that they should cease if there's not an interpreter. Because what he says in, 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 in first, thank you, Holy Ghost, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 10 through the 14th chapter, he's dealing with the principle of edification. He says, whatever, whatever is done in the corporate body should be done to edify the corporate body. Uh-huh. And, and, and if you say something or speak a word, or, or if I were to preach uh, in the German language, how many of y'all speak German? Anybody here speak German? Uh, the German language? Anybody? All right. So if I were to preach in, 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 in the German language, None of y'all would get edified because you wouldn't have a clue about what I'm saying. No clue. You would look at me like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can I say amen to that? No, I just said I'm going to kill your whole family. <laughs> so, anyhow, that's a sidebar. I, 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 I said it to say this. That, so, so he, Paul said, it, it, so if, if there's no interpreter, keep silence in the church. and speak. He didn't say don't speak, he said speak unto God and yourself. So just pray to yourself if there's no interpretation in the corporate assembly. I'll teach on that later on, okay? So, so there's a lot of things that we run away from because of our upbringing. If I grew up Baptist, if I grew up Methodist, if I grew up Episcopalian, if I grew up whatever, we let our denomination slant. I, here's what, I didn't believe in that until I started reading the Bible. Until I started studying the Bible, not with a Baptist tent, but with just saying, Holy Spirit, give me revelation knowledge. Okay, can we keep going? But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. They were always trying to trap Jesus. But let me tell you something. When you're dealing with the Son of God and his manifold wisdom, you don't have enough brightness in your mind to outsmart the Savior. Amen. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. Look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with, his, with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? All right. Now, remember, what were they trying to do? Were they really trying to get knowledge? No, they were trying to trap him. But look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. All right, next verse. This is the first and greatest commandment. Next verse, that's what? A sacrament is what? So if something is equally important, that means it's on the same level as the first one. The Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, and soul. And the second one is equally important, what? Love your neighbor. Now watch this. Next verse, it says what? The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you, want, if, you, if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll be all right. 
Well, I don't understand the, the theological construct of the doctrine of eschatology. I don't care. Love God and love people. Are y'all with me? Now, we ought to have doctrinal soundness, and we teach sound Bible doctrine because sometimes if you don't have, if you don't have sound biblical doctrine, you can be easily led astray by false doctrine. So we, 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 we need to know doctrine, but the essence of the whole scripture is loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbors yourself. Okay? So when we come to Christ, we have a new nature and a greater capacity to love others through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all have been trying to love these difficult people in your own strength, and you just frustrated. It's just wearing you out. That coworker, you can't even half go to work because every time you see him, you go, mmm. You're trying to do it in your own strength. And you can't love the way God said love by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit on the inside of you helping you. Are y'all with me? So, but even with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that it's going to come easy. You're still, you're still going to find some people who are difficult to love. It may be a coworker who gets on your last nerve, or maybe a neighbor who's ornery. Maybe it's a person in your church who is critical, a leader who has offended you, or a member whose lifestyle isn't in line with what they say they believe. Even though it may be difficult, it still doesn't change the command that Jesus gave to all who would follow him, which is to love one another. Are y'all with me today? So what are the characteristics of Christian love? Number one, love is authentic. Everybody say authentic. The Greek word for sincere in Romans 12 and 9 in the NIV is anupo, I think I'm pronouncing this right, anupokritos. Can we all say it with me? Anupokritos. Can we say it real fast? Anupokritos. Come on, you say it, you say it fast, it sounds like you know what you're talking about, doesn't it? Everybody say anupokritos. So if, you, if somebody has a better pronunciation, come back with next Sunday, give it to them, okay? So for, but for today, it's going to be anupokritos. Say it one more time. And that word literally means not hypocritical. The sad reality is sometimes in the church, people can be hypocritical. And we got to be genuine. We got to speak the truth in love. In the KJV, verse 9 says, let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation simply means the process of disguising or concealing under a false appearance. In other words, it's hypocrisy. Um, there's a Greek word, it's called hypocritos, H-U-P-O-C-R-I-T-O-S. Hypocritos was a Greek actor who would come onto the stage wearing the mask of comedy and everyone would laugh. He would just literally put on a mask and had a smile on his face and people would laugh. That's, this is primitive, y'all, okay? This, this is before the days of, of HDTV. Y'all with me? All right. And so he would come onto the stage wearing a mask of comedy and everyone would laugh. Then he would put on the mask of tragedy, sad face, and everyone would weep. He was a mask wearer. Paul said love is to be sincere, a nupocritos, and not masks, not a mask wearer, not pretending that you love, but genuinely love people. So love, love is, true Christian love is authentic. Number two, True Christian love is discerning. Everybody say discerning. 
in a biblical sense, to discern means to be able to distinguish between good and evil, to distinguish between whether it's God directing me or me doing what I want to do. If you love someone, you're going to despise anything that is a threat to that person's well-being. How many of y'all mothers and fathers, particularly mothers, your mothers, uh, I, I said before, mothers are, y'all have a, that mother's love that I think sometimes extends beyond fathers when it comes to your children, right? Even when they're grown. Is that right, mothers? Can I get a shake of the head, mothers? Dad will be saying, cut them off, cut them off. Mom will say, well, just let them. You know, we can. We just. I know mine does. I told you know, kids, is they, you know, you know, all of my children are grown now. And all of them have jobs. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. All of them have jobs now, Richard. Um. But we were, I said, you know, baby, I said, you know, um, I tell you what we'll do. We'll, I, I told Sandra and Junior, you know, Tanya's married, and she and Eddie got their own place. They're doing their own thing. Sandra got her own place. And Junior boys, he's flying all over the place, and he thought he was going to be back today, but a mishap happened, so he didn't get a chance to get back here today. But, but I, 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 said, I said, baby, I said, you know, we're going to have our, I, I told Sandra and Junior, I'm going to have a, a finance meeting with them. We're going to sit down, and we're going to talk about budget. We're going to talk about those things that, that we need to, Get, just, just get a picture of. I said, now, the one thing I'm going to do is, um, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them give those gas cards back. You know, that gas card they had since college. <laughs> Come on, somebody, somebody know what I'm talking about here. Those gas cards that they had since college. Now, Sunday's been out of college for a long time. And Junior's been out over a year, and he's making decent money. Uh, I said, we're going we're gonna, to you know, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about, you know, just, let's give those gas cards back. Now, we still got some other stuff that we still need to retreat them, but we're going we're gonna to let, let them down lightly. <laughs> and you know what the mother in her said? Well, you know, we, we, we ain't got, let's, let's talk about that. We don't have to do that right now now. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know, we need to kind of, you know, kind of, yeah, ease them out a little bit. So let me ask the question. How many of y'all, any parents out there that are still kind of helping your grown child a little bit? Let me see hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Oh, there we go. All right. And so, so it, it, it was that, it, I, could, I could sense that motherly instinct rise up and say, well, listen, I got to protect my babies. Your baby's doing real good. They probably got more in saving than we do. But I just, I just said, well, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. But what was my point? Love is discerning. And when you love somebody, listen to me carefully. When you love somebody, you despise anything that is a threat to that person's well-being. Amen. When you understand that sin is lethal, it is deadly, you begin to hate sin while you still love the sinner. If your adult child is in sin, you, you hate the sin, but you still love them. You don't throw them away. They're still your child, but you can't endorse the sin that they're in. God hates sin because he loves those who are hurt by it. And he knows that we are hurt by sin. Christian love, like God's love, hates that which can harm the one you love. 
So love has checkpoints and love cares about a person's character. Love cares enough to say, hey, that's wrong when someone is engaging in some destructive behavior. See, sometimes people think that you are you're mean and you don't love them because you call out stuff or you address some things that are happening in their life that shouldn't be. Are y'all with me? But that's not that true love will speak truth into the life of those who you're in a relationship with. True love will say that's a sinful pattern and it's going to hurt you eventually because sin, the wages of sin is death. It'll kill marriages. It'll kill finances. It'll kill your job and career opportunity if you don't release yourself from sin. And so when you love someone, you'll speak the truth in love like the Bible says because you know sin will hurt them. Love cares enough to say that's wrong when somebody's engaged in that kind of behavior. Paul said this in, 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 in Galatians 6 and 1. Can you go to Galatians 6 and 1 real quickly with me? Galatians 6 and 1. And then lastly, love is loyal. I say love is loyal. It's the last thing we'll cover today. Well, now, and love is also unselfish. Galatians 6 and 1 said this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are what? Godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So when you love someone, you don't sit back and watch them go into the ditch and say, well, he going into the ditch. Look at him over there. No, you go and try to help pull them out of there and don't go there. True love will address sin when you see it. Okay, and as your pastor, I, I love you enough that I, th- th- there are trends, and I, I'll share this. Th- there's some there's some church trends I, w- I want to share with you. That the Bonner Group uh, uh, did in one of their recent surveys. I'll share with you next Sunday. But but I see what's happening amongst the body of faith, and and I can't in due conscience sit here and watch it go on and watch you know the enemy utilize those things and those trends that happen in Christianity to divide the church. We're going to do it God's way. And I'm going to speak the truth in love, even when it, 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 it becomes uh, uh, hard for you to receive. All I actually do is pray about it and see if it's God's word and then go into meditation. And if it lines up with scripture, then you pray, God, deal with my heart because I want to do it your way. I, as a pastor, I'm going to do it God's way, guys. I don't know any other way to do it. But God's way. And that's what I told you on last week. That's what I told the church family. I will take this church under one condition, that we follow the word of God. Okay? We're not going to follow anything but Jesus' word. Okay? And we want to become an active, engaging church that's out there in the community. Some of y'all are doing a great job of connecting and being out there, amen, sharing Christ's love with the community at large. That's who we're going to become. Okay? So Paul didn't say ignore the sin or to condemn the sinner. Christian love encourages repentance and restoration. So love is loyal. When Simon Peter denied knowing Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly. See, when you're disloyal, you feel terrible about yourself, don't you? You divide relationships and you hurt the ones you love. But loyalty holds relationships together through difficult times. Because let me tell you something. If you've been married longer than a minute, you're going to know what I'm talking about. When When you're doing life together with a person, Come on, you're not going to always agree. There are going to be some times when you're going to have some difficult conversations that need to be had. But you need to know that you, nobody's going anywhere. Now, I'm not talking about 
When I say difficult conversation, I'm not talking about stuff that, you know, where there's physical abuse involved and adultery and, and, and serial, I mean, serial adultery. In other words, keep on just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, if somebody falls and repent, that's different than somebody who's got a lifestyle of that stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God has healed marriages. He's healed relationships in this church. When people are loyal enough to Jesus Christ to not cut people off because you disagree with them or they hurt your feeling or you had, a dis- or you had some kind of uh, 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 conflict. I don't really know how much you really love anybody until you have to walk through something with somebody. And you don't really know either. Some of y'all call yourself got friend, but you don't really have friend. You have a friend until they tell you about yourself. When they tell you what they see, then now all of a sudden you're backing away because your feet needs to hurt. Maybe that person loved you enough to speak truth into your life. And as your pastor, I love all of y'all enough to speak truth into your life. I told y'all before, 10 to 20% of the time, you ought to be a little bit warm with me. You should be a little bit warm with me because I'm going to challenge you to look inwardly like I challenge my own self to look at myself to see where I am as it relates to God's word. And if I'm not there, I want to line up, okay? Loyalty holds relationship together through different kinds. In the Bible, Jonathan and David's friendship was defined by loyalty. Y'all go back and read in 1 Samuel 20 chapter. Um, these two guys were best friends, but Jonathan's father, King Saul, because of jealousy, hated David. And he told his own son that he, that he, he wanted to kill David. But Jonathan could have kept it. He could have kept his mouth shut and went on being the next king of Israel because he was the one that was next in line to the throne. But Jonathan went and told David, my dad acting crazy, and you better leave. <laughs> and his loyalty to, to, to David uh, uh, caused David to be able to make the moves he needed to make uh, to still become the next king, okay? The Bible says this in, in Proverbs 17 and 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Is born for adversity. What are you doing with those relationships when hard times come? When you're having to walk through something? When you're having to discuss some things that are unpleasant? Are you up to the task to handle it God's way? And fourthly and finally, love is unselfish. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, love is unselfish. See, the world's concept of love is self-centered. But Christian love should be different. It's self-sacrificing. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, real quickly. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and I'm, I'm finished for today. We're going we'll to come back on next week and look at an illustration of Christian love. I will finish this in two parts. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Let me get that right quick. Philippians, the text says this. Paul writing, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, watch this, by agreeing what? Wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. We're going to, as a church, stick to the purpose. We're going to stick to the main thing, and that is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and once they become saved, we want to disciple and train them so they can go out and save somebody else. That's what we're going to be about. Amen? Don't, verse 3, can we read it out loud and on purpose? Ready, read. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Y'all with me? We let all kinds of things stop us from doing that. And we become selfish. We become critical. We become judgmental. Rary was in, in, in a class. She, I thought about this something just, just then. Sometimes we let our implicit biases cause us not to love in a healthy, God-honoring way. And every last one of us in here have some implicit bias. Every last one of us in here got some prejudices. Hello? It was very interesting, and I'm going to take that test too. Sometimes we, we, we look at people and we make prejudgments based off of what we see. And if you're going to love well, you got to stop that. You got to stop making ju- pre- prejudice, prejudging people based off of their ethnicity, based off of what they look like, based off of uh, what, how they dress. I'm saying this and I'm, th- I'm stopping. I remember uh, I did this when I was uh, when I first got into banking, I was working at what's called Washita National Bank in West Monroe, Louisiana. And I was in the branch. And I, I prejudged the guy uh, based off of what he looked like. He drove up in the pickup truck. Keisha had overalls on like he'd been working the farm. And I thought to myself, he may have $500 in the account. And when I went and had to help service him because at, at that time when it was at the end of the day, and I was working late, and uh, um, I was helping some of the, the, the tellers there, and I pulled up this guy's account. This guy had over $3 million. And here I am judging him based off of what he looked like on the outside. I thought he was an old poor dirt farmer. Dude had more money <laughs> than most of us put together in this room. And don't tell him how much he got. So quit prejudging people, and you don't even know them. You don't love well doing it that way. So we're going to love well in this church. Or you're going to get highly uncomfortable because we're going to love. We're going to do it God's way. Everybody say love one another. Love one another. We'll see that illustration on next week. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.